And there came a day, a day unlike... Wait, no, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks and... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. everybody you're listening to a special bonus episode of panelology jenna and i sat down with jeremy whitley to talk about the kickstarter going on right now for volume three of princeless in hardcover uh this is an edition of the books that can go out to libraries and get it in the hands of kids who might not see it otherwise and who would benefit from reading it so we hope you enjoy we also get into unstoppable wasp and future foundation a little bit so uh without any further ado here's jeremy hey guys it's jeremy whitley on the phone hey we're using that yep <laughs> we're using that one you're better at this than we are <laughs> All right. we, we, do you want to host a podcast <laughs> i think jen's ready to strangle me after this one <laughs> no. it's gonna like pop in like it's like a peewee's playhouse intro just like hey guys it's me Oh, well, well now now you've got to be careful about saying the secret word, though. It's true. Okay, now I, I feel like I want to make a joke, but I can't come up with it now. I have a word in my head. If you say it, we'll go there. You probably won't say it unless we get on to, I don't know, songs from uh, uh, the yeah. movie Moulin Rouge. There oh, we go. Okay. Let's not. That's or not... Paddington uh, the Bear, maybe? Okay. Yeah, one of the well, two. Well, now I have to figure out that overlap, but we'll do that later. Yeah. Uh, before the, or before we do that, let's talk about Jeremy's project, since he is here. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm always down to talk about myself. <laughs> Good. This will go better that way. Yes. <laughs> so, first and foremost, you are right now promoting a Kickstarter, a Kickstarter for Volume 3 of Princeless. And I definitely didn't have to do another take of this before to have the right book's title come out of my mouth. Yeah. Uh, it's actually, it's it's really, it's interesting because obviously, you know, for, for people who are fans of the series, we're, uh, you know, we have volume eight of the, the regular issues of the comic coming out right now. Um, but what we're, what we're coming to Kickstarter for is uh, we've been looking to do sort of hard covers of each volume of the series. Um, and because they, they cost a significant amount more. And part of the reason that we, we really want to do them is, uh, they're a very big deal, very like a desirable thing for, uh, for libraries to have. Um, because, you know, they like to have something that holds up to, uh, kids reading it and returning it and, uh, you know, going through several times. That's a, it's a big thing for us because we want to make sure that, you know, this, this story gets out to, uh, exactly the sorts of kids who, who check stuff out from libraries. Um, so, you know, we wanted to make sure to, to get this funded. Um, and it's, uh, it's a little different for us because most single issues and stuff, we you know do pre-orders through Diamond, and that's more than enough to, to fund making the comic. But with hardcovers, there's such a big upfront cost, and so much of uh, the sales come from bookstores and libraries who, 
you know, don't end us up paying us till well down the road. So uh, we're we're looking for a way that you know people who support Princeless and love it can help us, uh, you know, get it out there to, to this larger crowd, help us get that funding up front um, so that we can pay for this stuff. And uh, you know, in in return, there's quite a few rewards of uh, you know other various volumes of Princeless, including the the hardcover volume we're doing right now, a bunch of digital rewards, T-shirts. Uh, a little bit of everything in there. And this is not the first volume you guys have funded this way in hardcover, right? You did one and two this way too. Yep, one and two we've we've already done in hardcover, um, and you know we're we're looking to uh, make the jump to three, which is also the uh, volume where we we introduce Raven of Raven Pirate Princess is our sort of uh, ongoing uh, YA queer lady pirate revenge adventure series. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is not the first rodeo, as far as as far as getting this out there this way. No, yeah, no, we've 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 done it in the past, but uh, this is probably the you know the biggest bill we've sort of had up front because these these things keep getting more expensive. We want to make sure to uh, to get them out there. Yeah. So I think one thing I've seen you mention on Twitter and talking about this, and there are like you said, lots of rewards, so it's worth looking either at the tweets or at the kickstarter itself but one of the options is even just like sponsoring library copies of this for libraries right yeah if you know we know we have a, a lot of fans who've been reading the series for a while and already have these volumes of it even if not in hardcover um but you can you can donate to the kickstarter and as a reward you can you know donate 10 20 or uh in some cases even 100 copies to you know a, a library or a school um, you know, so that they can uh, they can enjoy the series as well. That's really awesome. What can you tell me? Like, why is getting this into libraries like why is that such a big deal? I mean, I know I know why it's a big deal to me. It's very yeah. cool. Um, but why is it super important to you? Yeah, I mean, because I think the the biggest thing with this series, even from you know when I first started it, is I was looking for a, a sort of series that I could share with my daughters that had a you know protagonist who was a, a young woman of color and you know she could have her her own adventure and you could have a princess who was actually the hero of her own story and um, you know teach the kind of things that I, I wanted my daughters to learn and provide the kind of comics that I, I wanted them to be able to read um, and that's that's been sort of the most common refrain from parents and librarians and adults and stuff that that have read the book is you know they they really want to get it into the hands of, of kids. That's something they wish, you know, that they had had when they were kids. So that's our, that's one of our big driving motivations is to, to get this, you know, book that's about saving yourself and doing your own thing and uh, diversity and acceptance and stuff into, into the hands of, of younger readers. And I think libraries are the most important because in a lot of cases, those are, you know, readers who, who can't necessarily afford to go to the bookstore or the comic book store and uh, pick up their own stuff who have maybe the, the most to gain from checking out a story like this and, and seeing themselves reflected in it. Yeah, I think it's really easy to take granted with you know, just the facility of buying books online, either ordering physical right. copies or buying digital copies or reading things on a tablet just how much of a role libraries still play especially for kids yeah i mean i know that when i was younger like the library is where i found things that i identified with my mm -hmm. i didn't come from a family that was super cognizant of representation in media so <laughs> <laughs> no so it was really awesome to like go and lose myself in the library and find things that i could see myself in 
Yeah, and I didn't, I mean, it was it was similar for me. Like, I didn't have, I mean, my father is not much of a reader. My mother reads, but not, we don't have the same interests in mm-hmm. books. Like, the place where I got my weird house of stairs and sci-fi and fantasy novels was I'd go into the library and I'd go up to the library and be like, hey, what's good? Yeah. And let the librarian just put things in my hand and read whatever. I mean, it's such, it's, I, I, it's still such an important part, I think, of growing up and growing up reading. Yeah, I agree. So I'm, I'm super yeah, happy I, that I think, this is a push that you're doing, by the way. Thank you. And I, I think we take for granted with, you know, so much, so many of us being able to read things digitally, like the, the ability that especially kids have to read things digitally because, you know, not, not all kids have tablets. They don't have access to, to comic apps. They, um, you know, I, I think it's it's increasingly unusual that, you know, families have, like, home family desktop computers these days. So, right. you know, it's I think kids, you know, tend to have most of their, their online interaction over a phone. And um, it's not, not usually the best place to read if, if they use it at all. So, uh, you know, still having that stuff in the library and on hand where, you know, kids can have it recommended to them or just stumble across it is, is I think, as important, if not more important than ever. I read a long form piece recently talking about still the importance of physical books in libraries, which Mm -hmm. sounds like wild to think about if you don't use libraries, but so much is made available digitally and those ways. But there are still like licensing agreements in place for digital books and digital comics and they're way more expensive actually for libraries to maintain those licenses. Mm. Um I don't I don't have the breakdown in numbers. I don't think anyone wants to hear me try to rattle it off if I did. <laughs> but it's anywhere from 3 to 4 times the cost over the same period of time as a book if a book is like constantly checked out and takes heavy wear and tear to maintain digital copies. And usually that's per read, so that's still like scaling to the number of times that book would get checked out absorbing that cost in digital copies it's wild yeah and and libraries are still you know mostly dependent on subscription services things like hoopla and like even though those services are great they're dependent on those so if you know they have an agreement that expires and they they can't reach with you know a company like action lab or marvel or something like that those books can just disappear you know literally from the library overnight they're they're no longer on the digital service and they're no longer reachable that way just like amazon or anything else yeah um you know where you don't have the subscription so it's gone so you know hopefully that doesn't happen uh, too often to physical books in libraries <laughs> they just disappear overnight yeah i mean i think this is super super important and like I, i'll echo jen like, i think it's great that you guys are taking the time an effort to to promote doing all the promotion up front to get hard covers of this out there for i mean okay like i love having hard covers on shelves too it's not like yeah this <laughs> is not for fans too but i think the library element is so important and would be an easy thing just to overlook and say well the sales don't justify it the model doesn't justify it. Um, I'm glad you guys aren't doing that. I'm glad you guys are, are really pushing this. Yeah, and especially because, like, I mean, you seem to be extremely busy right now. Um, <laughs> and to see you doing this means that you have you have a passion for this book. You want people to see this book. So it's very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, this thing is, uh, I mean, Princeless is, as much as I, I love a lot of the other, you know, 
books I've done, uh, and I, I love the chance to, to work on other comics. Princess is still, you know, my my baby. I've been working on this book uh, pretty steady for eight years at this point, um, and I, I I very much believe in you know what the book is about and what what we're uh, what we're doing, what we're talking about with the book. So it's important to me that like it, it keep getting out there. And I think, uh, you know, hardcovers are a pretty, pretty unique way to, to make sure it gets into libraries and gets into, you know, small hands because, uh, I think, you know, comic books, especially when they, they do bound collections, like they fall apart pretty easily, especially as rough as kids are on books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So having something that can stand up to wear and tear is, is a big thing. Uh, it, it's something that you know, every, every year when I do the American Library Association show, I have librarians uh, fuss at me about that. <laughs> yeah, we want, want more hardcovers. We want stuff that's going to stand up and, and be able to like actually survive a couple of checkouts. <laughs> because uh, you know, I've had librarians tell me they've been through 10 or 12 copies of the you know, soft cover of, of the first couple of volumes of Princeless. Um, just because it, it gets checked out and torn up so so easily as a you know glossy uh, comic still. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's big and important to me. And I think, you know, we've, we've done a lot to try and make sure that what's in the hardcover is a, you know, a nice special edition that collectors and fans of the book will, will want to have as well as, you know, libraries. So you get a sneak peek at some of the stuff like scripts and designs and things like that, that you wouldn't normally see in the book. And, uh, you know, we, we try and make sure it's a, a special experience that you know, people can really enjoy when they, uh, they get one of these. It's going to be something that'll, you know, stay on your shelf for a while. You can blend out and let other people read, and we'll actually come back to you in in readable, <laughs> readable <laughs> condition stuff. Yeah, and uh, I guess it probably shouldn't go without saying. I mean, we've we've, if you're listening and haven't been uh, listening to the show for you know more than about a year, let's say you might have missed uh, the first time we had Jeremy on and talked at length about princeless and raven and how much we love both of those books so maybe take a listen back to that if you aren't familiar but we have read most of princeless at this point and i've read i think probably about i'm almost caught up on raven yeah these are fun fun books they're really really something special yeah and it's not just stuff that kids are going to like yeah um yeah, we tried to, especially with Raven, which you know this this volume is an introduction to. There's a uh, always an element of of action and adventure, and uh, quite a quite a bit of romance in in Raven as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a big pirate soap opera. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is the best kind of soap opera, as far as I'm concerned. A uh, big gay pirate soap opera. At that, so. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> yep. It's perfect. Um. Anything else you want to you want to make sure we get out there on Princeless and the Kickstarter? Um, just the you know the Kickstarter is up right now. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, or, or I'm, I'm sure uh, if, you get, if people follow the podcast on Twitter, they can find the link on there pretty yeah. easily. We'll put it out um, again with the the tweet for this episode. Yeah, yeah. There's there's all sorts of ranges of stuff from you know I think the lowest tiers are are either eight or ten dollars and they're uh you know just digital copies of the book to you can get basically the the entire series all in all in one go with you know i think eighty dollars or uh there's everything all the way up to if you uh if you really feel generous and you want to buy like a hundred copies of the book and 
even have me come out to a school and, and talk to your your class. Um, there's a, a two thousand dollar option that would cover all of that as well. So uh, it's, it's it's all it's all an option there. So uh, people can check it out and see what's best for them. But there's a a wide range. It has you know something for everybody. I think awesome and. Volume 9 of Princeless is set to start soon, right? In August. Yeah, I think I think I think the last issue of Volume 8 comes out on Wednesday and then uh Volume 9 um I think the collection of Volume 8 will be out in July and then uh yeah, Volume 9 will start in, in earnest in August, so it's actually like orderable for the first issue right now. Yeah. Any anything you want to tease on on 9? Um, so nine is, I guess the, the, the penultimate volume of this, uh, this story that we've been doing for you know, the last eight years at this point, um, it's finally sort of bringing a lot of the, the stuff we've been building back together and, and coming home to roost at this point. You know, it's, uh, uh, when you see the, the cover of the first issue, it's, you know, finally Adrian and her father's shadow so after all this time running around and saving her sisters she's finally gonna come face to face with her her dad who you know locked her in the tower all those years ago now and uh actually get to get to deal with the man himself so there's a a whole lot of things coming together and there's a big uh big part of the story with her brother Devin and his uh his crew have been out running around the woods and trying Mm -hmm. to prevent a whole other war in the last few volumes um, they're they're a big part of this volume as well. Nice. Awesome. I cannot I wait for that wait. big cathartic moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's it's fun for me because I've, I've had some of this stuff in my head for so long. Like uh, volume seven, there's a big like reveal of you know who the Black Knight is, which is, is something you know a lot of people kind of had an idea of early on, but we've been sort of had this mystery going since the second volume of of the series, and. Uh, it's nice. It was it was great to actually like write it and then see it, you know, drawn and out there in the world and and actually having people react to it because it's uh that's something that I've been thinking about and trying to figure <laughs> out exactly how I want to do for a long time. So getting it actually out there is like, oh man, all right, <laughs> I actually did it. I feel like we did a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, you uh you work pretty far ahead. I feel like on this. I feel like whenever we've talked to you about Princeless, you've been two maybe two and a half volumes ahead on paper of what's coming out have you uh hit the end of getting everything on paper are you are you there or close to there um yeah i think this is actually the closest the uh the series has been to me um to where i am and then the writing for some time um because i i have finished writing volume 10 which is the the end of this story there are, you know, other stories and stuff we want to tell. Um, we'd like to do more stuff with the the characters in the world after this. But, you know, the the big story that's been going on since Volume One is is wrapping up. And you know, I think so. Once once Volume One issue uh, of or Volume Nine issue one hits, it'll be a total of uh, nine issues left at that point. But yeah, they're all written and well, you know, either drawn or waiting to be drawn. So they're uh, it's it's uh an actual reachable goal at this point. <laughs> this has not been often in the past. I was going to ask if it's bittersweet, but it sounds like with, with more coming up or at least more planned for after 
after 10 it's probably just pretty sweet i have to imagine uh yeah i mean mostly it's it's pretty it's pretty sweet to see you know these characters that i've I've lived with for for so long uh i know it's a a weird thing to say considering they're like they're fictional characters and all this stuff happened in my head anyway but to like see them to, to actually see them like grow up as they have over the last you know several volumes and as, as nine and 10 comes about and we'll see like a lot of characters hitting, hitting points in their, their lives and their stories that, uh, you know, it, it felt like early on those, those characters might never actually get to. Um, but it's, it's, it's pretty surreal and, and pretty sweet. And there's, you know, I've got plenty of other ideas of stuff I want to do, but, uh, you know, this is, I, I've been, it's weird to think that I've been writing this particular story uh, almost as long as I've been doing comics and like as long as I've had children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you, you know, put my, it like my daughter that. Is, yeah, my daughter is eight and like Princess has been coming out since before she was born. So my gosh. it's, <laughs> it's kind of weird. <laughs> so we we hear a lot about like writers, their creations taking on this life of their own and they pretty much tell them what is going to happen. Do you ever have these moments where you're like writing something and you're going, "Oh my gosh, I'm so happy for them," or "Oh, I can't believe that just happened." <laughs> yeah, I, I've had several of those as as the story has gone along. I think I've, uh, I think I've mentioned to people before of that like the original plan. I think, I think I had maybe like seven volumes mapped out as to how long this story was going to be. It was going to be seven, and then I was done at that point. And uh, somehow three more volumes have snuck in there over the past <laughs> couple of years. Um, it's gotten quite a bit longer than it was uh, originally intended to be. And I think a lot of that is like, as as we've been going on and telling these stories, like I found characters in there that I was like, oh, wow, I really, I really like this character. Like, you know, somebody just started out as a, a bit character in something is, you know, sort of grown up to be a more a more interesting and a larger part of the story and then you know you have characters like raven who like started out as a free comic book day story um you know because we and i wanted to do a original story for free comic book day that wasn't something that people already read um and i like that character so much that that ended up being a whole volume of princeless and then it ended up being its own series which is now you know 27 issues in <laughs> so yeah it, it's definitely like Raven, I think, is even more like that than Princeless because so much of the like course of that story is is determined by character interaction. So, you know, I, I definitely had this idea in my head from the beginning of like, you know, Raven and Hamena having this this relationship and Raven having a a crush on her. And you know, I was like, all right, at some point, we're going to pay that off. Um, become a much bigger, more complex thing with you know several of the, the other characters having their own story arcs that like some of those characters were just started out as just like designs because we needed a crew full of characters and Rosie and Ted were like, oh, how many, how many characters do we need to have in this crew? And I was like, I, I don't know how many characters does a crew have? Like <laughs> I guess we need to design more, more people cause they should probably be consistent. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I got these great designs back from them, and I was like, "Oh well, these these designs, the characters in these clearly have stories of their own. They clearly are, are into their own things." That's great. That's yeah. great to see the the image come to life and go, "Oh no, no, this this one, I need yeah. to write this one." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's like collaboration. It's it's like oh, yeah. the joy of collaboration. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's that's been something that's sort of like universal in a, a lot of the stories I've written, too. And, you know, stuff with, you know, stuff with like Wasp as well has been like we created these little, you know, supporting cast characters who were part of her, you know, lab she was putting together. And now those are like characters I'm super invested in. <laughs> yeah. Do we want to talk for maybe a couple minutes about Wasp? I know we're we're nearing the end of the line, at least for the time being there. Uh, sure. I'm, I'd be happy to talk about Wasp. I don't remember. Uh, I think the last time I, I talked to you all about Wasp, this second volume was just getting ready to start. And yeah, it's I... been... It's been uh it's been a pretty wild uh eight issues so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we might have had an issue out maybe. I think so. Um we definitely had not gotten into really the meat of the bipolar disorder plot line um which was just I mean so so well executed, so well done and it made me cry I don't know how many times. Um, <laughs> uh, which I know I'm not alone in that. Um, no. No. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've certainly heard from, from a lot of people that uh, are are either very mad or very happy uh, that I, I made them cry. So um, <laughs> been, it's been an interesting uh, several months of people um, either tweeting at me and going, how dare you make me cry? Or DMing me to tell me that like things like, I'm going to see a therapist because I read Unstoppable Wasp and I think I have an issue that I need to take care of, which is like that's incredible, pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a pretty wild tweet to get from somebody. It's yeah. like it's like oh yeah, I, I was reading this and I was like oh wow that sounds like me and this thing that I sometimes deal with, I should look into that. Um, it's like oh okay yeah you absolutely should. Um, yeah, it's not. Not something I feel like I ever anticipated happening. Like the the representation element is definitely something I, I thought about with that story. I wanted to make sure I got right, but the the idea that people would read that and recognize themselves in ways that they did not know or expect to recognize themselves is is really that's a really incredible uh, feeling. Yeah, I bet. I mean, that's that's quantifiable proof that you're helping people. Yeah. Who gets that? Not many people get that. <laughs> no, not. Not too many. I, I think um, you know, we're we're just finishing up um, issue ten, which will be the the end of this run. Um, I you know got a chance to I'm writing a little goodbye in the the back of the volume, and I was thinking like I, there's a lot of comics that come out, and like they're they're good and they're fun. It's nice to be able to write them, but like I, I feel like it's rare to be able to write something that is like that feels important, um, and like especially with with people's reactions to this, it it feels important like it feels like we did something and like that's a it's a rare thing i think in you know comics and, and fiction in general and to to have that sort of um feeling is is pretty cool <laughs> yeah i mean the idea of connecting to someone that way through i mean not just comics but like any kind of printed medium where you are i mean you're done with the work in two three months ahead theoretically and have moved on by the time most people are getting to interact with it for the first time and the idea of like connecting across time and space in that way is just extraordinary 
Yeah, I I have never <laughs> I've never in my life both appreciated and regretted being so far ahead on something <laughs> because I had so much time to worry about that issue. Oh my goodness! It's um, like I definitely there is definitely a point, and I, I was talking to my editor about this recently, where I was like. I wrote that issue and I was like, all right, I did a good job. I, I did what I was trying to do. And then like the next morning and waking up and being like, what the hell did I do? Like, <laughs> what am I doing? Did I, am I ruining this character? Am I screwing this up? Like what, what do I think I'm doing? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't have the authority to talk about this. I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. Um, and, you know, luckily having the, I guess, sense enough to like seek out, people who, who did know what they were talking about and who, uh, you know, have uh, degrees and or experience in this kind of stuff and being like, hey, can you, like, look at this and make sure it's right and make sure that I'm not, you know, doing something that's going to be painful for somebody because that's yeah. obviously the opposite of what I want. Um, you know, thankfully, I had the resources to do that, and especially in, you know, issue five, we have that... Uh, what I felt like is a very important sort of postlude in the, the interview with Chris Siri, who, you know, is an actual uh, professor of psychology and like, you know, was able to, to talk us through some of the like, Hey, what do you do if like you actually have this issue or a friend of yours is having this issue? You know, what, what should you do? What can you do? Um, which I feel like is, is an important step that a lot of people miss when they tell stories like this. Absolutely. And oh yeah. I mean, the difference between, and it's what, it's what enables, I think, getting that response of, hey, I read this and I'm going to reach out because it's not, I mean, destigmatization in and of itself is an important thing, but that kind of effort, I think, is taking it a step further and making it relatable in a way where it's not just destigmatized, but, but maybe doesn't seem like too much to take on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like. We were pretty successful in that. I, I think it was it was an interesting exercise in, in storytelling for me too to be like, all right, you know what what makes Nadia heroic in this moment and it sets it apart from you know these sort of similar moments we have with Hank of you know him lashing out at people in his life and like what is it that makes Nadia a hero here as as compared to that and being able to like say. Well, Nadia is heroic in that, you know, she asks for help. Like, that's the hardest thing for somebody like her or Hank to do is is to go to somebody and say, I don't think I can handle this by myself. I need help with this. And, uh, you know, that is something that still in you know 30 years of, of comics continuity, Hank has failed to be able to do mm. and that, you know, Nadia was able to do. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's part of what makes Wasp and some of the other books that feature younger heroes so important to me, at least. I'll just speak for myself. Like, the fact that there is more focus, it seems like, on characters like Nadia or Riri Williams in the Ironheart book, like, or book right now, uh, on self-care, on not throwing yourself into crisis after crisis and always taking on that trauma. Yeah. But but also saying, hey, look, I if I'm going to do this, I need to take care of me. Yeah. And that's valid. Yeah. And I, I think that was 
that was one of the most interesting things when I was like preparing to write this story and when I was learning more about bipolar disorder and thinking about how that would interact with, with being a superhero and with the sort of ways we we think about superheroes and that like Nadia Nadia has you know we, we expect superheroes to keep going to you know lift we want Spider-Man to lift that extra heavy thing we, we want everybody to like you know, just just keep going a little further and, and save the day and, and push themselves even harder and beyond their their normal limits and that's like that's what bipolar disorder encourages you to do in the first place like yeah. that's that's what people with bipolar disorder struggle with is like they don't know where their limit is and they keep going and the you know the disorder makes you feel like you're doing the right thing by continuing to going and that you you don't have a limit and you can do more and the idea that like those two things are are a deadly combination of this feeling of like you you just have to keep going you have to save everybody because that's your job but also like your mind won't let you not keep going yeah i i don't know if it's something you meant to do or not it may well have been but that that fix everything message reminded me so much of the beginning of Hickman's Fantastic Four run when Reed wanted to solve everything and like all through this plot line and and what's come after it I've thought about well no Reed Reed screwed up because Reed tried to do these things like this is this is something that there are examples not just in Hank but in other heroes of of doing this in the way that is harmful to yourself and potentially harmful to others if you are superheroing not at you know, not at a place where you are fully in control of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I had read some of, of Hickman's run at that point, and I've, I've actually read the rest of it since then, um, partially because I'm doing Future Foundation book now. But, like, it does definitely have that, that echo in there of, like, you know, that that's sort of where things go out of control for Reed as well because, you know, then, you know, connects with these these other reads who have in various ways taken it way too far. And uh, you know, he, he sort of sees this, all these different worlds of possibilities of how what he's doing can, <laughs> can, can be just as bad as what he's trying to stop. But I, I, it's been a while since anything is like, especially something not intentionally, I think maybe necessarily meant, that was meant to made me go back and, and recontextualize something like that. And that's a run I love. Um, but that makes me go back and think about, oh, you know what? This is, there's a reason why Reed hits the end Reed hits. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Is this something that the, the, the decision to, to tackle Nadia's having bipolar disorder, is this something that was part of the plan at the beginning of Wasp or something that you decided you wanted to do later on? It was something that, uh, a lot of my editor and I talked about from the beginning is, um, you know, we talked about Hank and, and what sort of influence Hank was going to be on the book and that, uh, you know, Hank does have self-diagnosed bipolar disorder um, and that, you know, bipolar disorder is genetic. It is something that is, is much more frequent in people whose, whose parents have it. Um, and that, you know, that would be, an interesting story to tell with Nadia. Um, but that, you know, I think early on, especially those first eight issues, like, 
I didn't want that to be like the only yeah. audience you know, jump jump directly into a mental health story. I feel like, you know, establishing her and what she's about and uh, who she is first. And then, um, you know, it makes it much, it makes it mean a lot more from there to like see, oh, well, you know, this is that person that we love and that person we're connected to and that we know is uh, good and optimistic and all these things. And, you know, it means much more to people at that point to, to see that person sort of, dealing with something this big and, um, you know, at various points falling apart. Um, you know, it, it was something that we had talked about that first run and, um, you know, at, at the point that we figured out the length of that first volume, it was like, oh, this is, this is not enough room to tackle this in what we have left, but, you know, maybe something we can do something with later. And we, we planted stuff in there for this story, um, you know, sort of in hopes, in hopes we'd get to use it. Um, but then, you know, when, when we found out the series was coming back, uh, the first thing Tom Brevoort said to me when, uh, when they were telling me it was, we were going to get a chance to do more of it was, uh, you got a story you want to tell. This is the time to tell it. Like, uh, you know, you know, you know already that, you know, nothing's sort of guaranteed. So, you know, if, if this is your chance to do whatever you want to do, um, don't, don't hold anything back. And that's, uh, that was the point where we decided that we wanted to try and go ahead with this. And it was still like very much a slow, I feel like those first four issues are sort of a slow creep into doing it. You sort of get this, when you go back and, and look at those now, you can sort of see that like the level of stress in Nadia is building and you know, there's all these various things going on and you have the sort of inciting event in the third issue where, you know, everything sort of falls apart despite her best intentions. And, um, you know, then and in four and five, you sort of get the full breakdown. But um, it was, it was, Nice because we got to pull back some stuff that uh, you know, we we had planted in the very early issues of the story. Like um, if you if you go back and read Priya's introduction in the first volume, she uh, mentions she she starts to tell Nadia that you know she's not doing science anymore because of something to do with her brother, and it you know they get cut off and we don't ever come back to that until you know uh, it is it becomes very suddenly relevant when. You know, Nadia is, is going through the same sorts of things that Priya's brother has gone through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been... I, I I am glad that it came back, and I am glad that you got the chance to tell this story. I hate to see it end again, but but knowing that you got the chance to come back and tell the story that, that you had wanted to from the get-go is makes it a little easier this time. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, I I could I could tell stories about Nadia and the cast of that book and Janet and Bobby for forever. Um, I love all those characters, but uh, I think you know, getting the chance to come back and, and tell this big and, and hopefully effective of a story uh, is still in in its own ways such a small story. It's so focused on the characters and uh, you know, literally happens and the most important stuff happens at a microscopic level. Um, <laughs> It's, it's uh, I don't know, it's, I think it's one of those, uh, it, it won't ever be able to take that away from me kind of things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. The story got out there, and, and hopefully it means a lot to, to the people that, that need to read it. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's been a real interesting opportunity to tell an actual, like, 21st century mental health story with superheroes. Yeah. 
I feel like it's a really a beautiful reflection of like this sort of cultural shift that we're sort of on the precipice of this like big you don't have to save everyone it's okay if you save only one person and it's even okay if only that one person is yourself it's okay yeah you don't have to be the big huge giant hero it's like you don't have to feel like it's all on you anymore whereas in america we've we've kind of pushed that a lot for the past however long i i have a friend whose thesis whose doctoral thesis is that as a product of 9-11 as told through iron man comics yeah i mean yeah 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 that's ooh, that's a heavy thesis <laughs> yeah um but no, i i what jen said yeah i don't have a better way to say it, so i'm just gonna agree yay i did a thing <laughs> <laughs> well um you mentioned future foundation we are still a couple of months out from it but uh what can you tease for us that won't get any of us in trouble <laughs> uh well we have um so the the first stuff we have is in the july issue of fantastic four we actually have a 10 page backup in there uh, which is going to be our, our first new future foundation story uh really the first new future foundation story since the you know matt fraction run um yeah. which has been quite a few years now um but uh, it, it's it's a really fun story that's in that backup because uh, for people who've seen the cover of the first issue of Future Foundation, obviously we've uh, we've made a pretty significant addition to the team in the the person of Julie Power, who uh, last time we saw her was on Earth getting uh, you know unceremoniously dumping her girlfriend, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, we we get to sort of catch up with her, and in that story we sort of find out how she gets to <laughs> where she is on the cover of that first issue. Um, you know, out in space with the with her brother and the Future Foundation. Um, but the the first issue is uh, is set for August, and uh, we're we're really hitting the ground running. The first story we're doing is a, a prison break story. That's um, uh, basically the the Future Foundation is uh, trying to break somebody out of a uh, a big space prison, and uh, they've they've recruited a, a special guest professor to the Future Foundation to help them do it in. Uh, in uh, Yandu Udantu, who uh, <laughs> you guys have, have, for anybody who's watched Guardians of the Galaxy, is uh, maybe not the best person to have around children, but a great. <laughs> that was literally the first thing I said: was, "Who keeps letting Yandu around kids?" <laughs> yeah, uh, he's, <laughs> he's not the best person, but he is very good at getting out of prison. Um, so yeah, he's uh, he's helping out our our group of. Uh, Teen and, and younger geniuses uh, breaking into this prison to get somebody out and then uh, breaking back out of the prison. But there's also going to be some uh, some big surprises waiting in the prison for uh, for our team. So I, I think it's going to be a great chance to sort of get an introduction to all the characters and, and see what everybody does and uh, really get to, to know them in the course of a really big, crazy action story. Um, I think... You know, we're trying in an interesting way to go as as big with this story as I have been doing small with Wasp. Um, so you know, it's a big big space adventure full of uh, unsupervised teenage geniuses uh, <laughs> blowing things up. I I can't wait. I love the Future Foundation so much. There's so much just limitless potential in in its DNA, just mm-hmm. in its whole 
basic premise that it, it gets me more excited than just about anything else just for the sake of, well, that could go anywhere. Yeah. And I think it was really interesting when I, when I first got the job, I was like, all right, I, I get to, I get to deal with, you know, the, the fantastic four and with, uh, you know, the, the Richards kids. And it was like, well, actually the fantastic four is not going to be around. And, you know, uh, Val and Franklin are going to be back on earth with their parents. So, uh, you don't have them. And I was like, all right, so everybody else is just going to have to be super extra, which is, um, <laughs> you, when you have Bentley on your team. <laughs> <laughs> Bentley, like, Bentley, I have almost as much affection for as I do Quentin Choir. So oh, yeah. just through the roof. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you guys have seen the uh the cover for Future Foundation number one or the uh the design that we posted online uh for him. But uh so our our basic like uh Will Robson who's who's doing the art on the series and I like we were like, all right, we want to redesign the costumes because they're unsupervised teenagers in space. Of course, they're going to create their own cool costumes. <laughs> like, what? What does? What does Bentley twenty three think is cool? Um, so, of course, he's wearing like a Superboy leather jacket and like purple shades, <laughs> and uh, you know, just just being his 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 most true rebellious self. So, um, we were like, all right, you know, what's what's the what's the most Bentley thing we can do on here? Well, we're going to give him like, he's got the little circle in his, in the middle of his chest, like the wizard, but also like got the, the leather jacket and he's got the, uh, so much, so much extra going on with this costume. And it's like, I just want to, I just want to like spray paint the number 23 on the back of the jacket. Can we, <laughs> can we just make it just as extra as possible? Um, and that's, I think that's really been kind of our, mission statement with Bentley is to just like, all right, like Alex is doing his level best to try and keep this team together and like make sure nobody dies. And Bentley is just like a complete agent of chaos. (laughs) (laughs) How much can he get away with? Yeah. Not only is he trying to get away with whatever he can in space, but like he's just, you know, actively insulting his theoretical team leader while doing it. (laughs) doesn't have to you know listen to reed richards talk anymore uh i cannot wait um thank you for taking time and talking to us again uh we will be sharing links to the kickstarter mm-hmm. and pestering people about that while it's running <laughs> so if you're listening to this go check that out support it if you can uh it's a really great book and it's worth getting out there yes i really appreciate that yeah like like i was saying i mean there's there's a variety of you know amounts people can give so if you know if eight dollars is what you can afford you you want to give that to support it we'll be more than happy to get that and get you a digital copy of the volume and uh you know have something to check out if if you want to to go higher there's there's plenty of different options and plenty of fun stuff to to buy awesome very cool well i'm sure we will catch you again later thanks again is there anything else oh, you'd like oh, yeah. to plug? Um, not that I can think of right now. I'm thinking, uh, like, I'll, I'll be. You said this is going up in the next couple of days. Uh, yeah, I mean, say. I'm probably honestly going to go home and get it edited tonight to post first thing in the morning. All right. Well, if um, 
if people are going to be at uh, Heroes Con in Charlotte this next weekend, I will be there um, in Artist Alley. And then uh, the weekend after that, I will be at the uh, American Library Association show, which is in Washington, D.C. this year. So if you're a librarian or a, a school teacher that will be at that, you know, come out and check us out at the, the Comics Artist Alley there as well, because uh, we'll be out there uh, talking about Princess and Wasp and, and anything else you want to talk about. Awesome. Um, I guess that'll do it then. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, I've said it twice now, but I'll say it a third time. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I don't know another way to end an, end an interview than to say thank you until it stops. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Of course, it's always great yeah. having you on. Yeah.